You're listening to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode seven of season two. Fear often keeps us from going down the path less traveled, even if that path is where our hopes and dreams live. Today, we sit down with Malika Bilal to talk about following your dreams while navigating your fears, working as a black female Muslim journalist in America, and how she's using her platform to debunk any fake news about her identities. Hey, it's Danielle and Zaina, and welcome to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast where we elevate the voices of women by sharing their stories of struggle while also highlighting their success. We wanted to create a space for women to feel like they're not alone in whatever hardship they may be facing. Some conversations may be lighthearted, while others may touch upon taboo topics ranging from mental health to women's bodies and spiritual struggles, and we don't shy away from any of it. But our overall mission is to make every woman realize that she is not alone. We are all in this together, I promise. Our sole purpose is to build relationships, not barriers, between you and the woman who may need you. We're here to provide inspiration and to build courage. Tune in every Wednesday where we'll feature an insightful guest who will help us reach these goals. We laugh, we ugly cry, and we'll probably laugh some more. So plug in your headphones, grab your favorite cup of coffee or shea, and get ready to become a part of this unbreakable sisterhood. You are tuning into season two of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. So we've only been three months into 2020 and it's already been very hard and a lot of people and so much has been going on. And I just want to take a moment before we really dive into what's really going on around the world. I just want to thank everybody for coming out to our event. And Zayn and I struggled so much with deciding if we should go through with it. But then we realized like as long as everybody listens to the preventive measures that we put into place, everything should be fine. And alhamdulillah, it was as sad as we were to not be able to, you know, everybody was like we couldn't give each other hugs or handshakes. But still, like the love was radiating throughout the room and everybody was respectful of everybody's like space and because of what's going on with the coronavirus. Absolutely. And what I want everyone to know is that it wasn't a decision that we made lightly. We did go back and forth. But like you said, we did put preventative measures out there. We were also there the night before disinfecting everything like we did take the steps that we felt were necessary to keep it a safe but fun event. And um, it was a little weird not hugging people, even shaking their hands. Like, I think we are affectionate people. I think it's just our culture. Yeah, yeah. Like, you hug people you don't even know. So, like, it was kind of like air hugs and, like, you know. But it was cute. I think everybody was on the same page. Yeah. And alhamdulillah, it didn't kind of, it didn't ruin the event or anybody's mood. And it was more so, like, everybody's mood. I really wanted everybody to just have a good time. And it was. Everybody was coming into the space with smiles on their face. And it was just nice just overhearing so many women like getting to know one another sharing their names sharing phone numbers saying let's grab coffee after obviously the coronavirus (laughs) dies down but it was it was really really nice it was a small intimate event i do want to say it was at most i think 45 it wasn't like hundreds of people you know let's not that a hundred of people would attend our events but you know what i mean like it was a small intimate gathering let's just say our event was smaller than the costco line that people are finding themselves in because everybody's going crazy and buying all the toilet paper all the to- why toilet i do use a shatafa well you know what I was saying? yeah the shatafa but not even that like let's just say because they're american they don't have the things that we have because we do yeah. and all that like just jump in your shower i'm so confused as to why that well, i don't understand is paper plates were sold out utensils like 
plastic utensils are they not planning on washing their dishes like i don't it's the most mind-boggling thing walking into target and seeing completely empty shelves it's sad i think um because i was reading a lot of people's like what, what their opinion is on the whole situation with coronavirus it's very scary it really is but the thing is i think when you lose control of something and this is anything in your life you start to panic and you kind of do things that just don't make sense at times and i yeah. think we find ourselves in moments like this when we are going through any hardship that we're facing but this is like something that's like affecting the whole entire world so yeah. now imagine everybody around the world that's panicking and like and i i have friends that have been going to the stores you know grabbing necessities for their children the ch- milk yeah. and everything yeah it's completely sold out and it makes you think i know i saw something that someone was saying like this is how the reality is in Gaza, and it's been like that for the past 13 years where they don't have you're worried about Basic finding hand sanitizer they haven't had the, nece- the necessary medical supplies in 13 years so it kind of really does put things in perspective and how much we often take things for granted I think. we do and i think that's also bringing back like the refugee crisis a lot of people like turn a blind eye onto that and they're like that's not my problem why are they fleeing their country and everything well obviously for obvious reasons there's you know they're fleeing their country but now you understand like here you are you feel like you have lost absolute all like all control of your life and you're panicking and you're trying to save your family from this virus imagine everybody from around the world refugees and whatnot or if people that come from more torn, torn countries, they're facing this or they've been facing this. And you also have to think about, you know, so many people are kind of stockpiling all their food and supplies that they're going to need. Think about the people who can't afford to do that. Those people who can't afford to buy food for, for a month because they can't. And all the people who are out of jobs now, like it really is a scary time. And and I think we have to obviously take those preventative measures, be safe, but also kind of bring light to the situation, help our neighbors. I'm on the Nextdoor app. I don't know if you have it. What is it? It's basically an app that like connects everyone in your neighborhood. Oh, so cool. like, let's say if you have a car break in or something, someone can say like, hey, um, my car was parked on this street. Does anyone have like video of their front lawn or whatever? And they help each other. But a lot of people are right now saying like, hey, I know a lot of schools are out and stuff like if you need someone to watch your kids I'm working from home I can do that or if you're an elderly couple who can't make it to the grocery store I'll do that for you so the community so cool. is coming so, together I yeah didn't know that existed that's such a smart idea it is and honestly it's 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 nice to see people come together during this time it's kind of what oh, is it called again next door next door and it's yeah. an app well you laughed when you said car breaking yes, because I did. you guys the same day of our event not that it was enough that Zane and I are dealing with so many other stressful factors <laughs> (laughs) But I go to my car right before, you know, driving to the event and I see my car just like just a rampage. Somebody broke into my car the night before and you just feel violated in a way. And I think that's why I initially started crying. I know there's like crazier things going on in the world. But but it's a shock. It was a shock because I just felt more violated than anything. I didn't care what they took or whatever it is because I don't keep anything valuable in my car. But knowing somebody that I don't know was in my car just creeped me out. It happened to me a few months ago and you were telling me like you feel like the car is dirty and you feel like it's not yours and like like, I feel that way. It's it's the most craziest thing, but I also heard someone on social media say it's happening a lot now because everyone's home, no one's using their cars, so the cars are vulnerable and people are stealing and going into them. I called the cops because I was like, oh, maybe they can take fingerprints or whatever, maybe because again, this could be happening around, so yeah. why not get as many fingerprints as possible? Obviously, cops can care not that they can care less. They but have so many other it, things. There's going so on. many other priorities, like there's obviously murders and stuff like that going on that are more important than just like a break in, especially when I don't think anything was stolen from yeah. my cars again. I don't have anything valuable. So when I call the cop and then they're like, oh, they'll be 
there soon. And I'm like, dude, I got an event in like 10 minutes and yeah. I have to be there. So I left. And then the operator calls me. He's like, what are you doing? The cop is at your house. Like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, my God. So I drove back. Oh, my God. I'm horrible. I drove back and everything. But he did. That's what I was going to say. He did mention. He's like a few blocks down. There's a guy with a camera. And there was a few gentlemen that were breaking into people's cars. I don't know if he said they're, they were identifiable or not. But just, I think, keep a watchful eye on your neighborhood. Be there for the elderly in your neighborhood. Yeah. Call your grandparents. I know I always say this, but this time I'm really serious. You guys really call your grandparents and check up on them and make sure that they're they're doing okay. Do not allow a day, especially now, do not allow a day to pass without you being in contact with them. So I think it's really important to just check up on them. And yeah. So let's talk about this week's guest. And I think it's very fitting because of the field that she works in. Yeah. Today we're talking to Malika Balad. She is a broadcast journalist. She works at Al Jazeera. She's currently working on her own podcast about international news. It's called The Take. Definitely check it out. We will link it below. She is someone that we've been wanting to talk to for a while. How about we say exactly like a whole year? A whole year. She was on our original list of people we wanted to reach out to. And that's why never let your fears get in the way of like actually doing things. I don't know why we're, I think it wasn't intimidation. It was just like, I, I was like, I want to be really prepared to talk to Malika Bilal because she is somebody who is really incredible. We've been following for a while and everything that she puts out puts out is just so beneficial to our community. And I want to make sure that we give her uh, episode justice. And it was interesting because we mentioned this to her, but it was a whole year ago. We were at the iHeart Halal event. Her husband was there and we we're like, man, we would love to have your wife. And he looked at us. He's like, all you have to do is email her. I'm like, I know, but I'm kind of like, I don't know. He's like, just email her. I'm and like, then a year later we did and she responded. She's like, yeah, let's do it. And that's it's why like, why do not be shy. Do not be intimidated. And she talks about that. Yeah, yeah. she does talk about that because we obviously mentioned it to her. And it was just, it's just now looking back on it, it's so funny. But again, we were different people then. We yeah. just started our podcast. So we thought like, who are we to yeah. have Malika Bilal <laughs> on our podcast? Not that we're like, you know... You know what I mean? What kind of big shots right now? (laughs) But it's like now I feel like we're more comfortable in our own skin and we're more comfortable in the mission of this podcast. Exactly. Because again, we did did face imposter syndrome whenever I didn't even know what that was. But now I feel like we know what we want to kind of like bring out of this platform yeah. and what we want to share and what our purpose is so alhamdulillah inshallah khair for this podcast inshallah khair for everybody by the way we are recording this on a Sunday so by the time this releases on Wednesday inshallah the news gets better with the whole coronavirus obviously that would be a quick turnaround but we always hope for the best so yeah. sorry if this seems outdated or if something more tragic has happened or inshallah some good news has happened so hopefully yeah inshallah khair let's dive in let's do it So this is interesting, Malika, because now you're on the other end of questions. Usually you're the one that's asking the questions and doing the interviews, but now it's your turn to be the one answering these questions. But before we dive in, we would love for you just to briefly introduce yourself to our listeners so they can get to know you a little bit better before we really get into the questions. It is so good to be finally talking to you guys. So thanks for having me. My name is Malika Bilal. I am a journalist who is now based in Washington, D.C., but I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. Um, Shout out to Chicago. Exactly. (laughs) On the south side of one of the best cities in the world, which you guys know. I currently host an international news podcast, but I'm new to it. So I'm literally like taking notes as we have this conversation (laughs) to see how you guys are doing it. How about you shout out the name of the podcast? What is it? It is. It is called The Take on Al Jazeera. So available everywhere. There's a little plug. Wherever you get your podcast, people can find it. But if you're interested in international news, it is a podcast for you. But like I said, I'm new to it because... 
Previously, I was the host of a TV show called The Stream, also on Al Jazeera. And I just decided I want to be a Jack or a Jill of all trades. And so I want to try my hand (laughs) at basically every medium there is in journalism. So this is the current one. Honestly, I'm it's so impressed by you. Like as a journalist, a journalist, I look up to you in so many ways. Even before I got into the profession, you were definitely someone that I would put on my mood board. Like <laughs> inshallah, one day I could aspire to be half of what Malika is. And I do want to highlight one of your many accomplishments. That is in 2012, Al Jazeera's first time winning a Webby People's Voice Award. At that time, what was that accomplishment? What was that award? What did it mean to you? So much, not specifically because of that award, but I'll set the scene. I had just joined the stream. I moved from Doha where I was working um, as a web producer and editor for the Al Jazeera English online site. And so I moved to the States in 2012 to join the stream. And I had previously worked with the stream team. I'd been going back and forth, filling in when they needed a host and just doing things odds and ends here and there. But in 2012, I moved over full time. And so 2012 was also the year that the network itself won channel of the year for our Arab Spring, quote unquote, Arab Spring coverage. And then the stream also won like most innovative show at this Royal Television Society. It's this huge awards in the UK. And so I'm walking into a team that's just won that and it's amazing. Everyone's elated. And then they get nominated for an Emmy. And so one of my first outings as part of an official stream team was going to the Emmy Awards. Um, that's amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, it was fantastic. So that's a really great way to start off like a job, any job. And then the Webby came. So all in all, it was, it was a good sign. It was like, this is the place I'm supposed to be. It's incredible how things happen. And yeah, that look, what you were saying, Zaina, it's like, this is where you were meant to be. And you went after this dream. But it's like, I feel like a majority of our listeners, and I think, Zana, you can agree, they're always asking us, like, how do I go after my dreams when I just don't, maybe don't feel supported enough, or I'm very fearful? We'll talk about fear in a little bit. But what made you go into journalism? Like, what pushed you to go into something, a field, especially, like, I think sometimes even to this day, we don't see that much representation. But here you are, somebody that wants to go after the stream, and you decide to go for it. So my answer is not going to sound that deep, but (laughs) it's the truth. Um, I went into it because... I had teachers tell me that I was good at it and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. But when you get that positive feedback and you get, you know, your teachers being like, oh, you're a great writer, like not everyone is because you kind of take it for granted when the thing that you're good at and it comes easy to you, you often take it for granted. You think everyone can do this. And so it's it, it takes someone else kind of pointing out that everyone does it, but not everyone does it well. And we think you do it well, so you pursue it. So I took that advice and I ran. I went to journalism school, Northwestern. Uh, They have a great journalism school called Medill and decided I wanted to major in journalism, but specifically print journalism. I thought I wanted to work at a newspaper. And so that is the track that I kind of pursued. But in journalism school, luckily you learn so much. So I also worked at a TV station. I tried my hand at magazine and just kind of dabbled in lots of those different things. Also, we were building websites back then. This is like in the olden days. So (laughs) it's before the web was all that popular. And so we were building our first website. Mine was on video games with my partner. And it's just so silly when I think about it now. But we're learning all these building blocks because also at the time, 
people knew that newspaper may not exist in the format that we know it in at that time. It felt like newspapers might die. And so it would be really good to kind of try your hand at lots of things to see what sticks. So that's what I did. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, during our, our conversation prior to this, you were saying that you really didn't want to get into TV or on air appearances because you really want you didn't see people who look like you being represented your anchors on you know the local chicago uh tv stations weren't wearing the hijab they weren't black muslim women and and i feel the same way because when i got into journalism even though right now i am working behind the scenes i felt like print was kind of a safety net like it was something Mm -hmm. that i could get into without no one would care if I one day decided to put on the hijab and walk into my office like it really didn't make a difference how I looked mm-hmm. exactly I remember seeing bylines Muslim sounding bylines like Noreen Allah was one of them um, at the time and so I'd see them in the Chicago Tribune Chicago sometimes and I'd be like this is great there's clearly Muslims in the media they're doing what I want to do but they're behind the scenes so you don't actually know what they look like and thus they won't get the criticism they won't get the glares, they may not have that same level of scrutiny. So it felt like a safe place. But then, as I mentioned, I was working on my campus television station and all the broadcast kids, I was working behind the scenes. I was rolling, rolling tape. So basically when you see a news package and then the anchor throws to a video, that was my job to like Hit oh, that button to make sure it throws, which is the <laughs> scariest, literally, hands down, the scariest job in journalism. Because if you don't hit it fast enough, or if you hit the wrong button, all eyes are on you. Okay, um, I have to, I fault. have to disagree with you there because <laughs> running, running the prompter is to me the scariest thing that in the world. Scary too. You're right, right. <laughs> I did have to try that as well. And now also being having been on the other side and being angry at the person running the prompter for not running it right, I I, kind of agree with you. So there's a lot of scary roles in journalism and broadcast journalism. But throughout it all, people in broadcast had a certain look. They all wore makeup perfect faces, perfectly coiffed hair. They kind of had the same accents. Like people, you know, you, you, you take this affect to how you talk and it sounds very angry and reportery. Thank you. Cause I noticed that I was like, but how, do, why do they all sound like that? I mean, you don't mind it, but it's like, how do you train yourself to sound like that? That's so interesting. They can turn it off and on. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's not a thing that happens in classes. It's not like we have professors being like, this is how you do it. But you know, you grow up and you see news and you see anchors and you just think that's the way it's done. And literally everyone does it like that. So I knew that I didn't look like them. There was no way that I wanted to kind of live my life in such a uniform package, so to speak. And so I thought it just would be safer to stick to journalism, newspaper versus broadcast. And then Fast forward several years later, I graduated. I started working in online broadcast radio, the Voice of America in Washington, D.C. And then a job opening popped up for Al Jazeera English in Doha. I had a friend who worked there and he was like, you would love it. You should come. So I submitted my resume, having never been to Doha, never been to the Gulf at all. And I got the job and everyone at the time was like, 
even though you're going to work on the website, we can see you on TV. We think that's going to happen for you. And in the back of my mind, I was like, that could be kind of cool, but I don't think that's going to happen. Like I'm here to just, I want to be a foreign correspondent. I want to be out reporting for the website. Like it's not really about the, the camera for me. And then one day I had been in Doha for about three and a half years, I think. And there were protests in Iran, huge, massive protests. This was the green movement. So this is one of the early protests that we saw also play out on social media. Mm -hmm. And because I worked at the website, we were just more familiar with social media tools and Twitter and, and the way people were organizing online. And so the television news desk would come to us, the people on the web, and they would be like, what are people saying online? And can you translate this for our audiences? You guys know it best. And who wants to come on TV and do it? And so I kind of reluctantly, but kind of wanting to challenge myself, raised my hand and I did it and I liked it. And people in the newsroom seemed seem to like it. And audiences seemed to like it. And so that kind of took some of the fear away. So it's like challenge yourself. Like it's okay to dabble in, in certain things because you really always think that, oh no, I'm not going to like this, but you end up liking it. And you will, you'll never know unless you try it. And I think that's just, that's just an interesting, um, I guess, point to be made when it comes to the young listeners to just try whatever you can, like get your feet wet and anything that you can. Because I feel like when I was growing up, I just had a straight path, like literally tunnel vision. I was like, I'm going to become an accountant. I'm going to finish my four years and I'm going to find an accounting job. That's it. I didn't go into any other internships or anything like that. I could have like seen what else was out there. And I feel like my life path could have been completely different. And you could, you, you could be the one in charge of your life path. But I do want to mention that now, yes, you're in front of the screen. You're the first, one of the first, and I know you hate this label. And this is why we're going to talk about it <laughs> because I am on the same page as you. I'm totally don't get it, but I also get it. But you're like one of the first female Muslim, like, you know, hijab wearing woman who's also black that's on everybody's television screens and you do not like that label the term first can we dive into why you don't and then we can like literally further discuss this because I feel like all of us have something to say about this yeah I bet it's it's such a hot topic as a journalist I get the need to have to have a baby headline (laughs) and, and have people have a reason to read my article or watch my package or whatever and first sells but for our own community and looking internally, I think it's a label that distracts from the actual news, the actual thing that we should be looking at. So on the one hand, I think that there is a time that maybe people in our generation and younger may not remember. And so there might be people out there who have been doing and are doing the things that we think are so revolutionary right now. But because it was an age before social media, an age before we were able to see what people were doing in, I don't know, Wisconsin or the other side of the country in California, if you're living on the East Coast, perhaps you don't know who was doing local news in California. And we didn't have this self-promotional push like we do now. So I'm hesitant just for accuracy reasons. You know, I don't know that I'm the first and so I don't want to claim it. But as far as I saw and as far as the media that I consumed, I didn't see many people that look like me. So that's what I can claim. Um, But even more so than that, I don't want to be known as the hijabi anchor because that's not who I am. I'm a journalist and I'm an anchor and I'm a storyteller who also happens to wear her faith pretty loudly and and, and proclaim it in a way that, you know, people can see kind of holding on my scarf right now. I also think that, and I mentioned this earlier, we're in 2020, the fact that we're still having Black women half-first and Muslim women half-first and just Muslims in general half-first is kind of disappointing. These things should have happened 
so long ago and the fact that they're exactly. finally happening now yeah we should celebrate it but we should also take into the fact that it's disappointing that it took this long for us to reach the levels that we could have reached so long ago if it wasn't for the pushback that we've been receiving and kind of the struggles that we've had to face from outsiders. I also think it's just how we view that term first. I think right away when we see the first hijabi or the first Muslim woman or the first black woman, you limit this person to just that label. And like you said, Malika, you are, you're so multifaceted. There's just so much more to you. Hijab, that's beautiful. You wear the hijab, you rock it, you look great. But there's also more to you than just somebody who wears a hijab or somebody limited to what you're wearing. And I think that sometimes that's what's hard is just that we're limiting you and your ability to what you're wearing. But I also feel like sometimes when we say somebody is the first, I feel like sometimes like the young listeners or that listen to this uh, podcast that probably look at it like, well, now I have to compare myself to her. Look at her. She's like the first person to go on this um, TV show. I want to compare myself. I want to be just as good as her, if not better. But I don't think we should do that. I think the person who's that in that role, that first role, they should be you should be able to just look up to them and not compare yourself to them. Let them be your motivation to want to go in, in, into the same field that they're in. And I also just I'm a very firm advocate and making sure you keep that door open behind you if you're the first and whatever it is it's really easy to keep that door behind you i think it's actually harder when you're trying to close that door and you're holding tightly to close and not allow anybody else in the same space <laughs> exactly. as you honestly yeah. leaving it open is just so effortless and it's just nice to be able i i don't know maybe this sounds biased but i love sharing space with muslim women i love sharing space yeah. with the, people that have the same values as me i, I absolutely right. love it so why not and it's lonely and then it means you're not alone. Yeah, exactly. It means you're then not alone. Like, I think that, you know, in all of our egos, there's a little thing that does want to be known as I'm the one that got it done. I'm the first who got it done. I'm being recognized for this achievement. But then you get in there. Let's say that's true. You're the first. You're the only. You look around and you have no allies and you don't have people who understand what you're going through. And so thus your challenges don't really seem like challenges to them. So I'm super interested and, and encouraged of people holding that door open. You know, I don't want to necessarily be the first. I want to not be the only. I want there's there to be other generations and other people in my own peer group to come join me at that table and, and on that stage and on that television screen or on that microphone because then that'll make it easier for all of us. The thing Absolutely. is, there's going to be a such thing as the first. That's just, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Like, obviously you have to be the first, but I think it's really important. Like you said, Malika, just don't be the last. Like, allow there to be enough room for you to just not be that last person. And then that's so true. Like, I feel like if you are the only person and you, you know, you got to that point and that's an incredible, like, you know, feat to, to an accomplishment to be able to be the first. But at the same time, you are going to feel lonely and there, then you also become the t- token hijabi and you don't want to be the token yes, hijabi i think yeah. that's where the tokenism comes from if you're the only person that's on set or in a f- runway or whatever it may be and you're the only person then i i feel like that becomes like you're the token hijabi it, it doesn't even have we don't even have to stop just at hijab you also don't want to have to be in that role of being the token muslim the token black person the token palestinian because then especially in a newsroom a story comes up and all eyes shift to you they're like oh this is a black issue so what does the black community community think. And you're like, what? I'm one person. I cannot speak for, you know, millions of people. I can give you my perspective based on my lived experience and my research and my knowledge, but I can't be that one. And so I'm really thankful to have been in newsrooms where 
if a Muslim issue or topic comes up, I've had other Muslims in the room, so I don't have to be the sole one. And in my my last job specifically was great because, I mean, granted it's Al Jazeera, so there are a lot of Muslims. There are also a lot of people of lots of other different faiths and backgrounds, but it's been interesting because the way that I view the world and a story has been different than a coworker who is of a Shia uh, background, Indian, she sees a world completely different. And I think that that's super healthy to have both of those views there so that there isn't just one narrative. I also want to point out to those who are aspiring to become journalists and get into this field that I am, I work in the Chicago market. I am not the only Muslim in my newsroom. And when I found that out, that I wasn't just the one or two or three, that there was multiple, I felt a little bit more comfortable and safer, right? And like- safer. Yeah. I was like, okay, like the fact that I'm not, cause you know, I came from a smaller market before this and I was the only Palestinian. I was the only Arab. I was the only Muslim. And it was a little tough because like you said, when there were issues that revolved the Arab Muslim community, everyone would look at me and like, okay, so like, tell us like, what do we do? Like what angles are we working with? But now that I'm in a bigger market and I see fellow Arabs, fellow Muslims in the newsroom with me, it makes me proud. And it makes me honestly like I think the younger generation will have an easier time getting achieving their dreams earlier than I think we did. Yeah, it's like up to us to pave the yeah. way for them to make it easier. Because I mean, our I mean, obviously, our parents immigrated from a different country and came here like that's a huge feat. And now we're making this living. So now we have to pave the way we have to keep this going to keep the doors open. But Malika, you said it's such an interesting point, because, yeah, when there's like a specific news story, you're they kind of look to you to like be the one to cover it. But like when I go into work, my nine to five job, my physical appearance doesn't showcase that I'm Arab and I'm Muslim and I'm this and I'm that I can go in and out and that's it I, I have no responsibility placed on my shoulders but here you are you're a black Muslim woman where, who wears the hijab I feel like sometimes you you didn't sign up for this but it's like you have to represent <laughs> many communities like it's you that has to re- represent all these communities like how do you feel about that sometimes where it's like people look to you to be the spokesperson I guess so it's definitely a responsibility that I have to remind myself it's a responsibility because when it gets too overbearing which it can I want to shut off and I want to put on my RBF, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just like walk through the world. Like, what are you looking at? Like, I don't have to explain anything to you. Uh, I am not here to make you feel more comfortable. Like, but then there are times when I recognize the importance of being a public person with so many uh, identities that are present and that are so obvious. It's about figuring out when you want to play that role and when you don't. And and hoping that people in the greater community are cognizant of the fact that if they actually have questions or if they have things that they don't understand that there's always Google. But if you're actually in my circle, if you're someone I'm working with and I know that there's a mutual respect there and you have a question about why do Muslim women, why do some Muslim women wear the hijab or wear a scarf? Why do uh, the black people in my neighborhood do this? Can you un- explain this slang? Things like that, which, which actually happen all the time. Sometimes I'll roll my eyes and laugh and then other times I'll explain because I actually want you to come away with having learned something and having learned it from hopefully a place that is giving it to you straight and is giving it to you accurate. So it's a challenge, but some days I'm up for it and some days I'm not so much. And I think it's it's a responsibility that you never asked for. Obviously, it's not something that you signed up for, but it's kind of placed upon you, and especially being, like you said, in the public eye. I kind of think it places more emphasis on who you are and your identities. And I want to talk about you being in the public eye because we read something that 
you know, you talked about how you described yourself as more of a reserved person, someone who's, you know, kind of like to themselves when they're just at home with their friends, but choosing a career that's so public and out there. How do you balance those two split identities, being reserved and also being in the public like, eye? Like, we're not all Kim Kardashian. We're not all made for TV. Like, <laughs> yeah. We weren't born out the womb wanting to I be cannot. famous. But to be in the public eye, it's, it takes a toll. Like, even this podcast, honestly, sometimes it's, you get anxiety. Like, do you ever mm-hmm. face that oh type of thing? Yeah. Girl, all the time, especially with social media, because there's anxiety that comes with, I don't want to be uh, self-aggrandizing. And so it's trying to figure out how do you promote the work that you care about and you're passionate about without also just bragging or like yeah. humble <laughs> bragging or inviting in... <sighs> I don't want to necessarily say evil eye or inviting in envy, but you are inviting in critiques and you're inviting in the world, basically. You other post people's online, opinions, yeah. you're inviting in other people's opinions, exactly. And so there's that anxiety. And then there's also the anxiety of sometimes I just want to live my life and not have to tell other people about it. But if I don't tell other people about my life, then why would they then care about my work? So there's a, there's a mix between sharing enough so that people are invested in you and, and your well-being and then they're invested in your work. So there's the, all of all of those things kind of play come into play. But you're right. I would describe myself as a reserved person, as a kind of shy person. My friends will tell you, like, they, I, they don't know what I'm talking about because when I'm with <laughs> people that I'm comfortable with, I talk a lot. You know, I have lots of opinions to share, but it comes with being an introvert that if I don't know you very well, if I'm in a space where there's lots of new people and lots of new things going on, I'm probably in a corner talking to one person. And so this isn't really the kind of career that seems like it would be conducive to a person of that personality. But I will tell you, I actually know tons of journalists who are actually really shy. And so you get them off camera and you're like, why is it so hard having a conversation with you? But it's because, you know, when the cameras start rolling, you almost have to have this other persona. It is the Sasha Fierce, you know, yes. to, to steal. You know <laughs> exactly. Saying? And so there's one story that um, I'm reminded of when I was really young. This is in high school and uh, my school was having a fundraising dinner. And so a pretty prominent journalist came to our school for a fundraising dinner. And I was in high school and talked to us about some issue. And then someone else would come up and say, why you should give money to our school. And after it was over, it was such a good speech and I really loved it. And I knew that I wanted to be a journalist at that point. So I ran up to him after it was over and I talked to him about tips and how to get into his newspaper. Um, And I came back to the table and my mom was shocked. And she was like, I can't believe you did that. You know, and she's looking at me in awe and I'm thinking, what? She says, you're so shy. You don't like talking to people, but you just ran up to a stranger and, you know, you had a full conversation and it dawned on me then that, oh yeah, I did do that. And you're right. I am shy, but I think it's just when it comes to the work that goes away and I have to kind of cast the introvert aside and bring out the extrovert who needs to get a job done. I have this, a similar story that I told you off mic, but I feel like we're the exact same person in that sense because I am an introvert. I am a shy person. But then when you put me in front of someone that I'm interviewing or someone that I have to work with, I kind of push that 
persona aside and I'm focused solely on my work and not so much on like me, if that makes sense. But it's just like, how does that happen? Because I can relate to you guys too. I think people assume when I'm making these snaps and we're on a podcast and we're in this and that, that I'm very extroverted. But really, honestly, you guys, I crave alone time in a cafe by myself without talking to anybody. Like just not even going with anybody to a cafe. I just like that alone time and just being by myself. But I feel like when you are approached by somebody, you kind of have to continue with this persona of like, yeah, I easily, you could easily talk to me. Let's do this. Like, No, but it's like, I'm not really 100% that person. And I don't know if it's social media that has given us that extra persona to feel like we, like we should be a little bit more extroverted. And also I think introverts have this just a horrible definition of them. They're not people who are <laughs> loners, loners yeah. in their room 24 yeah. seven. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. they're just a little bit more reserved. That's all it is. And I think reserved is a better term because like introverts, people just think that you guys just don't talk to anybody at all. <laughs> it's like, no, people talk, you know, <laughs> sitting in the room with the lights off, just like by myself. That's not my life. <laughs> but this brings me to positive feedback versus negative feedback. And with all of us being in, in a, you know, a certain venture that is like in the public eye where you are welcoming people to have their opinion. I mean, you're on a public platform. You kind of have to be OK with just, you know, people telling you what they think. But how do you navigate that? Because I think that's something that, you know, all of us probably like, you know, deal with like having to have negative criticism or bad criticism. And how do you navigate that? But also highlighting the good things that people say, because sometimes we kind of almost push the good things out of the way and we tend to focus on everything negative. So I'm probably going to regret saying this after I get a flurry Uh of negative feedback. But (laughs) to be honest, I love feedback. I love it good and bad because personally, the type that I have received thus far has not ever been too hateful. So I've been privileged enough to have not gotten tons of just haters, plain haters who were like, we don't like who you are because of who you are. Occasionally that'll come through, especially on Twitter, because, you know, the internet is a cesspool sometimes and it brings out the best and the worst. And so very occasionally there'll be people who just don't like the fact that I'm presenting and have a scarf on, or, you know, they think I represent the worst of what they think Islam is. But that is just a handful. It's like a drop in the bucket compared to the constructive feedback I get. Most of it's positive because like you said, people don't often get to see someone who looks like me on their screens. And so then for people in the audience who I look like, so this is is particularly on the African continent, I get a lot of love from people there because they're like, this is great. You look like my sister. You look like me. Like, this is fantastic. You know, I'm Muslim too. I was scared to wear my scarf and now I'm not because you've given me hope. And so those messages far outweigh any of the bad ones. But I will say there's occasionally, I think the last time I got an interesting, interesting feedback. So one was on Instagram where someone said, I looked like I was glowing. I must be pregnant. And this is before I was married. So it was, they meant it as, um, as a compliment, but you know, hate those. Those are the <laughs> worst. The worst thing. And then yeah. the other day, the other, a couple months ago we were doing, I did a show on Dolly Parton and her, why she's still so popular so many generations after her start. And I came out with a newfound love for her and Our audiences mostly loved it, but someone wrote and said, you know, I just don't appreciate seeing, you know, a girl in a scarf on her head talking about Dolly Parton like this just does not equal out. And it's stuff like that. You're like, well, I guess I see where you're coming from. I don't agree, but 
it's criticism that's constructive that actually then helps me know what people are thinking and then helps me grow and, and take take the gems out of what they're saying to then build upon. That's why I think it's really important for people to see you beyond your hijab. And like I said, yeah. hijab is a beautiful thing, but it's like this preconceived notion like, oh, she wears a hijab. She has to be 100% a perfect Muslim woman and she can't talk about Dolly Parton. You know what I mean? Like you can't be like that. Like you have to have a, be able to not just limit who you are because of how you look like or what could community you come from. I think that's also really important. I also think when it comes to like the negative feedback, positive feedback, it all comes down to what you choose to put weight on or what you truly value the most. You can have a thousand negative comments, but if it takes for one girl that looks like you and says like, man, you really pushed me to become a journalist or a news anchor myself, that would far outweigh all the negative comments because it's what you choose to put weight on really or what you value. But how do you make that difference? Like how do you know where to place that weight? Because sometimes you're you're getting all that love and positive feedback, but that one negative comment will stay in your mind. How do you train yourself to not put weight on that negative comment? It is super hard. I don't know that I've yet found the way since I can still remember the ones that were negative. And, and again, they weren't even that negative, but I can still, you know, they stick with you. So I don't know that I have an answer to that, but I would say my advice for the future, my own future, and then for other people that are going through it is make sure that you surround yourself with people who are giving you constructive criticism, because then that is your sounding board. And those are the people you can trust. But that said, I don't think that everyone online who posts negative feedback are haters. Like I just don't, I, I kind of hate that word because not everyone is a hater just because they don't agree with what you do. And so I think it's super important for us who decide to live our lives in public and post about our lives, that then we're open to constructive criticism. If a lot of people are telling you, we're taking issue with what you did because it hurts my community, or there's this thing that you weren't thinking about that has negative effects, you know, in this way, I think it's behooves us. And I think it's on us to then keep those things in mind and to recognize the truth in what they're saying. Hopefully they're saying in a way that's constructive and that's kind. Most of the time that doesn't happen. People just don't know how to give kind feedback. So there's a lot of like, sister, like your bangs are showing, like you're going to hell. You're like, oh my what? God. That's, just, that's not, that's not how the prophet would have given advice. That's not how, you know, the, the, the story of his grand sons, how, when they were making wudu and they saw someone who clearly delivered looked like he didn't know what he was doing. And so they took it upon themselves not to berate him or to make him feel bad, but to pretend to teach the other how to make, we'll do it loudly so that he would hear and he would learn. Like that's, that's the lesson we should be taking out of how to give constructive criticism. So if it comes in that form, I think that then it's on us to recognize it and then try to push it back to our sounding boards and say, Hey, am I out of line here? Like, what do you guys think? I trust your judgment. Do you think that I should apologize or do you think I was wrong in doing this? Because sometimes, you know, we are going to be wrong. No, that's great feedback because you and I, Zaina, have taken all the constructive feedback from the yeah. very beginning, like maybe the first month we released our first few episodes and we transformed our podcast thanks to those who gave us a constructive feedback. Because if everybody was just going to say, oh, yeah, good job, you guys. We're so proud of you. We would have stayed approve. stagnant. Yeah. We would have been the same people who started this podcast. And it's just like, no, you, you do not want to hear our first few episodes. Like, we were still babies at this. We didn't know what we were doing. But because of the constructive feedback, we, like, you know, 
took one step back. We analyzed the feedback and we're like, you know what? They're so right. This is so true. And then, yes, yeah, sometimes I would take the feedback to my sisters because I really trust the, the opinions of my sisters. They know me really well. And they would like, you know what? Yeah, I actually agree with this person. You could do it this way or you could do it that way. So it's okay to take feedback from other people. You shouldn't just like focus on your project and assume that it's just going to be the same thing from start to finish. You want it to transform. You want it to grow because you are, as a person, you're continuously growing. So allow yourself, allow your project or whatever you're working on to grow with you. I think that's also important. But I just got major flashbacks when you said sister. Like how many messages have we gotten that like all start with sister and you know it's going to be that kind of comment. Exactly. <laughs> Mine are always like, yeah. sister, you can't talk about Islam if you don't have a hijab on your head. I'm like, but I'm still oh. Muslim. Yeah, I had that once before. And the, the thing is, they put the comment right there for everybody to see. They do yeah, not DM exactly. you. I don't care. No, no, no. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they just don't know where the DM button is, but I highly doubt it. But how about like you, Malika, when have you ever faced this like where it's just ironic how your whole the whole purpose of your career is to elevate the voices of others to share their stories to share news stories and everything like that do you ever feel like your voice has been stifled because of the fact that you are just specifically a female journalist like take the fact that you're muslim and you wear the hijab just you being a female in this their sector or whatever you want to call it but do you ever feel like you've been stifled because of that i think it is not super blatant which makes it worse so i personally have not felt that i've missed out on any opportunity yet in my career because of who I am. And that includes even wearing a scarf, which is why it was so shocking to me that I was able to make it to this on-air position because all these like fears that I had built up in my head that no one's going to want it and people are going to be critical. None of that actually came to fruition. So none of it came true. But that said, I think there are more latent ways in which misogyny shows up in the journalism profession. I think it happens in terms of pay. Like I've definitely seen that. And it's because I've known at certain points in my career, what males who have generally the same amount of experience were making, and I knew what I was making, and they didn't match. And so there's times like that, where, you know, on the whole, on the surface, it might look like, oh, she's living her best life. She's at the top of her game. Like, no one's holding her back. Like, she doesn't face the challenges that we face. But you know, actually, a lot of us are facing the same things, no matter what industry we're in, that 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 pay gap is something that affects so many of us. And it's unfortunate that it affects so many of us without us even knowing, like, because not everyone has the luxury of knowing what a male counterpart might make. I've had that luxury. And then of course, it turns to misery, because then you're like, this is not right. How do I address this? So that kind of misogyny, really, there's no better word for it has shown up. And I've seen it in that way. That's so saddening. And and that's why I think they kind of restrict you from knowing how much your male counterpart is making. It's the company that's benefiting most because they don't want any, they don't want females walking into the office saying, why is Billy making more than mm-hmm. me when like, I'm doing the same exact job as Billy. And honestly, I'm better than him. Yeah. You know what 100%. I mean? So make sure you, you guys find out. Yes. If there's one PSA, because I'm guessing most of your demographic is women, that I can give to people to take that take away from listening to this podcast is I'm trying to encourage even among my, my friend group, let's start talking about how much money we make. I know it's awkward and I know that it can feel sticky and icky to know because it can lead to different feelings, but I think it's going to help in the end, particularly if you're in the same industry, but even if you're not, it's just good to hear because then you have that space to go to someone to talk to about, hey, I just found out that I'm not making as much money as I should. And I know that you face that because we've already talked about it. How did you deal with it? I think those conversations, woman to woman, are super important and they're not happening right now for the most part because people feel 
you know, kind of awkward about it. But that initial awkwardness is so much better than the awkwardness of then finding out like you're stuck and you don't know what to do and you don't know who to turn to. Or even just giving a ballpark number because yeah, yeah, yeah. some people are private. But I agree with you, Malika, because let's just say somebody wants to be in the same job as me. Like it's up to me to kind of be more honest and let her know like, oh, you're not getting paid as much as you should be getting paid, especially when what educational background we have and all our experience kind of matches. Yeah. It's like there should be no reason for you to get paid less than me or less than a male newcomer too. You know what I mean? So that's something that it's going to take time because we're reversing years and years of us being conditioned not to talk about our salary. So definitely will take time, but I definitely see that happening sooner than later. Yeah, and invite males into that conversation because we definitely need to know how much they're making in order for us to kind of make that comparison. Do you ever feel like Malika, like, because I know we're talking about labels and your identity and how people can quickly, this is what I want to talk about. People can look at you just one glance and feel like they already know what president you're voting for, what, what, you know, other thoughts you have in in regards to the U S or what's going on around the world. Do you ever just get sick and tired of that and having to explain and debunk these assumptions about you, especially when you see yourself in the middle of a Trump rally, because you, you had to be in one of those things or like a, was it a Republican event that you had? Yeah. yeah. That's not something that you would see majority of us being president but imagine you where your identities are right on display and you have people looking at you like oh what is she here for do you ever feel that way oh my god all the time and of course that then increases the anxiety because then instead of just doing the work and being worried about the work you're also worried about what other people think about you doing the work so the time you're referencing um this was the republican national convention so this is the nominating process here in the U.S. to nominate who the party is going to pick to run for president. And the next ones are about to, to come up this summer. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to going to those two. We'll see. So inshallah, this this was in the, for the 2016 election. And my team and I were all kind of, we were worried and we were debating whether or not we should go because this is unlike other uh, elections. I mean, of course, we all remember we've all we were all there. That's where we started being traumatized, like with real trauma. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the trauma, the it trauma was real. Was coming to the fore. Yeah. Exactly. Because I had covered other conventions before. I've been covering elections for a long time now, and I've never had worries or fears about how people are going to perceive me or whether I'm going to be attacked. You know, that's not a thing I had to worry about. But in the lead up to this convention in 2016, that was a fear because it was literally happening. And so people that were Muslim, people that were black, people that were journalists were being attacked at rallies and were being attacked at other campaign events for Trump. Mm -hmm. And so we had to really seriously come to terms with whether or not we were going to feel safe going into this convention to report because I'm very visibly, you know, black, Muslim, a woman, a journalist, I'm going to have a microphone with me. But I also couldn't say no, there was just no way I wanted to miss it because I was too afraid of what might happen. And so we made, you know, we made plans for what will happen if this happens. If there's a stampede, if someone tries to hit us, like this is what we're going to do. We had plan Bs for everything. In the end, nothing bad happened. It was actually pretty low key. But there were the just like, daily interactions of people who were shocked to see us there. So I remember I'm having one conversation with someone. I'm setting up an interview and so I'm really busy, you know, with my equipment and getting my laptop open, getting my questions ready. And this gentleman just walks over and he wanted to know about Saudi Arabia. And he thought that I could answer those questions. And so he just kept asking me like, 
so what does Saudi think about this? And and what does Saudi think about this? And what do you think about this? And I was like, um, I've been to Saudi. Um, I've been a couple of times, but it was for reporting for, for the Hajj. I actually went to report on the Hajj and to perform it. So I do not know Saudi's foreign policy and I cannot speak for them. That's not what I'm I'm focused on right now. My current research is on the Republican National Convention That's and so on this crazy. election. Yeah. He was so taken aback that I didn't know the answers and that I couldn't be that representative. And then I was so taken aback that he thought that that was a normal question to ask a journalist, you know, who's in the middle of trying to work. That's the thing that your career, your your path is like in, in the middle of like a place where it's like, these people don't can't tell the difference sometimes between Iraq and Iran. So you are yeah. in a very dangerous setting at times. You can find yourself in a very dangerous setting. But I think that's also kind of brings us to the point of like where we should still show up to these places. I'm not saying to go to dangerous places because <laughs> alhamdulillah, like you were not in danger. It, was, it ended up being a, you know, a good event and everything. But I think we should start showing up in places where we feel like, oh, it's going to be uncomfortable because I don't see anybody that looks like me. Well, why not be the first to be that person to start going and showing up to these places and give them your perspective because some of these people need to be educated and I don't mean that in a rude way but some people they need their eyes to be like their minds to be open and really like let them know what a Palestinian really is what what's really affecting the black community in Chicago what's this what's that you know what I mean I feel like we have to start showing up even if it feels really uncomfortable at first I think we shouldn't just find ourselves in places where it's our comfort zone we have to yeah, push the I buttons. agree with that because a lot of times you'll be the first Muslim they'll actually met you know what I mean aside from the people and, and what they see on the news and on TV, exactly. you might be that first person and you could change their idea. Who knows? Maybe sometimes they're a little bit too hard headed, but sometimes you could be that change for them. OK, not all Muslims are evil and want to kill us all. Do you know what I mean? You could you could be that change if you actually put yeah. yourself in those situations. Right. And e even at this convention, so we had a booth in, in the convention center and it's where we would like set up to do our work in between interviews. We'd go back to this booth. And so it has our name. It has the name of the network on it. You know, there's there's branding. So everyone knows. And so I'm sitting there. I was wearing this like electric blue zipper scarf. Nice. Um, um, so I'm, I'm you know very, very proudly proclaiming who I am. Like there's there's no doubt about it. And I remember that day because so many people would come up to our booth and they would just smile and they would be like, so tell us about your network and so good to have you here and thank you for coming and hey, I'd love to be interviewed by you because it felt like we were an oddity. And so it made for great stories for us, fantastic gets for journalism, but it also helped other people see, oh, I never thought I would see this person here, but I'm actually really glad I, I did and I'm, I'm really glad that I do. I think we tend to disassociate ourselves from people who have a difference in opinion than us. And I think that's something that I see a lot even happening on social media. I think it's okay to have a difference in opinion. It's okay to have a difference in stances. Obviously not to the point where if you're voting for Trump, you know what you're voting for as well. But I'm just explaining like in your situation, you were in that setting, but you were able to have positive discussions with these people where you guys were able to just get to know one another. And, and I think that's really important where we should also just respect one another's opinion and not always just attack somebody for, for having a different perspective than you. And I think that's something probably you face all the time because you're going to be interviewing people that are probably going to have, they're, they're not going to agree with anything that you say, but you should still have a sit down and talk to these people and hear them out. I agree with that definitely because there's no change that will come from us staying on our sides. You know what I mean? We kind of have to do meet in that 
middle and discuss things because if we want to see change in the world, we have to actually interact with the people that we want to have change with. I think the the commonality within all the stuff that we were talking was just fear. And I think sometimes we allow fear to paralyze us when it comes to just finding a new career or going after something new or even just entering just anything, just even going and picking out your own major or whatever it is. Like, I just feel like sometimes we allow fear to paralyze us. And I just want your advice on this when it comes to fear. How are you able to just overcome that at times? And how are you able to push through and ignore the mental chatter that's in your mind and to know that you are capable of so much more and you're going to go after all of that? So it is much easier said than done. I am a person that I'm, I like probably overthink lots of things and I love making lists. So I just around my apartment today, there's like several lined uh, papers with like to-do lists and lists of this and pros and cons of this. So that also, that really helps in trying to convince myself to do a thing that I'm afraid to do. Um, But also I really love talking it out with friends and family. I know sometimes I can get on their nerves, but it helps me come to terms with something. So if there is a new job, which is, for example, the job to, to host a television show, You would think that that should be an easy decision, but it was really hard for me. I really was scared about it um, because of that internalized fear of what are people going to think? And even if they, you know, accept me, even if my network says, okay, fine, we're okay with having someone with a scarf on air, what are audiences going to say? And are they going to think that I'm not a real, you know, good Muslim because I'm not wearing it in the way they think I should wear it? And, you know, is it going to distract from the news? So that was actually a really hard decision. And I almost said no, because I just didn't want to have to deal with so many eyes on me every single day. It felt like that's not something I need in my life. And then weighing the pros and cons, talking to other people, I realized that would be a crazy mistake to pass up just because I was afraid of what might happen. Um, So I'm really glad in hindsight, of course, that I said yes to that. But it continually happens. When it comes to promotions, when it comes to speaking engagements, my first inclination is just to say no, because I'm like, "Mm, it's scary. Something might happen that I have no control over. I just would rather say no. That is literally what my first answer is always no. And then I think about it. And I realize that is not in my best interest. And the more I do a thing that I'm scared of, the easier it gets, the better I get at it. And so then usually my answer turns into a yes. But I think in advice for other people, I I mean, I can only speak for myself because I know my anxieties and I know how to, to tamper them down. But I think talking about them out loud helps you realize that a lot of it's in your own head and it is scarier to think about it than it is to actually do it. I think we fear the idea of failure because I feel like everybody's looking at us like your social media, like everybody's in the public eye. So I think that's really hard. Like, have you ever faced imposter syndrome? Because it seems like even, yeah, you kind of discussed it. Like sometimes like you and I, Zana, like, I don't know, we didn't start this podcast to be the only Muslim podcast and this is a Muslim's insight on all. No, we started the podcast to share stories of women. That's all it is. Just as simple as that. And for you, Malika, you're probably like, no, I just want to be a TV anchor. I want to be on TV. I want to be able to share these stories. I didn't say I'm going to be like the perfect Muslim who is going to share it from the perspective of a Muslim all the time. You know, sometimes yes, but not all the time. Do you ever face like the imposter syndrome too in your work field? Yeah, it comes, I think, mostly from me feeling inferior in terms of experience. And so now I've been in the business for more than 15 years. I should not have that same fear, you would think, but it still, it crops up because it's like, well, I mean, sure, I've been doing TV for this long, but it's been live TV. So I don't know that I would be good being out in the field, you know, talking uh, just off the top of my head, doing what like a correspondent does. So as one example, when we would go to those conventions, the Republican and, and the Democratic National Conventions, 
you know, I don't have a teleprompter. Um, it's not a studio, which is what I'm used to. It's, it's on the fly. It's quick. It is think up something at the top of your head and then keep talking. That's what correspondents do. And it's a skill. It's a skill that I don't necessarily have and much better in a, a controlled environment as an anchor. But rather than talk myself out of that, which is what I did at first, I realized that if I do it, I will get better at it. And so that getting over that hurdle to just do it still happens, but I'm better off for it when I am able to get over that hurdle. That's an incredible piece of I advice. Think, I think, honestly, imposter syndrome is something that affects anyone. I'm sure the, I don't know, I can't say our, our president of the United States has imposter <laughs> syndrome, but I'm sure other presidents have even felt like, what am I doing here? You know, like, I can't believe I'm here because like you said, you can be in a position where it's like 15, 20, 30 years on the job and still feel like. I'm not as good as my counterparts. I don't have enough experience, even though you have years of experience. That's something that like I'm constantly trying to struggle with, constantly struggling with and constantly trying to get over. But I read something on Twitter the other day Uh that I like, I know, but I actually like really, (laughs) I (laughs) I really felt this. It was a, a tweet that said it took me 15 minutes to get over something that I've been worrying about doing for two years. And it's like we place so much weight on the things that we're afraid of and and the fears that we have but actually doing it and getting over it isn't as hard or isn't as big of a deal as we like build it up in our head to be things are not as scary as they seem I think we'll learn I I think if we you know live the way you live um Malika or we go about the way you do things it's like you you go after it you try it out I think that I think we were just so scared to try things out and if they're not meant for you they're not meant for you that's it doesn't mean you're a failure it's just that's not where your talents are you have maybe your your actual like true life's purpose is somewhere else but at least you tried it I think a lot of us live life with a lot of regrets and I think it's because of fear and we fear the idea of failing and all that stuff but I feel like we are all capable of doing something great and I just think if you like you said if you have a great supportive group of friends and family to be there with you to really like talk you into things or to help talk you out of things <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. great because sometimes like yeah you might be going overboard it's like they're gonna they're definitely gonna help you but it was really an honor to sit down with you, with you, Malika, because this Thank is a you. conversation we've been wanting to have. And I, I think it's just so incredible to see a woman like you just breaking down so many barriers and you're really doing it really well. And it's exciting to know that you're in the podcasting world too. And you, we can't get enough of international news. So I think this is yes. amazing that you are doing it, especially in that specific space. And I cannot wait to listen to you on there. And is, how many episodes do you have up or are you guys still? Um, so now we are three times a week. So it's getting nice. to a lot. Of yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. We ramped up to three times a week. I joined oh, formally and officially mm-hmm. in January. And it's a, like three times a week is a lot. <laughs> but I'm liking it. It's a whole new medium. And so I'm learning, which is, I mean, it almost takes it back to imposter syndrome because you know, I am new to podcasting. I'm new to having to use my voice as the only medium. And so coming into it in our first few episodes, I'd get feedback like, Ooh, we could tell you didn't drink water or, you know, we can hear like mouth sounds, things that I never had to worry about in TV. And so then there's like this internal fear and you're like, no one's ever told me that they could tell I didn't drink enough water that day. Like I have so much to learn. Do you and see what we have? We have water bottles now, like, no. constantly <laughs> drinking. Your mouth goes dry after talking so long. yeah it does 
it just doesn't happen on TV, you know, but because you're looking at the images, you're not necessarily only listening for the voice. And so it's a learning process, but instead of freaking myself out about not really knowing audio, I am learning, I am taking courses, I am watching and listening to video and um, audio podcasts like you guys is. And so I'm taking notes just all along the way. And that's the thing. That's the whole thing. I mean, we do that too. We listen to other podcasts and we take notes and you change it up and everything. And I think everybody's new to the podcasting world. And it's hard because it is just your voice. And sometimes, yeah, certain things, it's like, yeah, you could hear every like every time you take a breath in or yeah. a breath out. I'm like, or oh, the my peas, God. the popping peas. Yeah. How many times we had to re-record things? Okay. Yeah, it's really hard. It's like, and it's and the thing is, sometimes when you're in person, you're having a girl discussion. It sounds great, but imagine having three girls all at the same time talking on a podcast. We learned the hard way that the not work so that's <laughs> no. how we started creating outlines because it's much better but there's just that's the whole like point of talking about this there's just so much to learn in whatever avenue that you're going after everybody's learning everybody's taking their time I think everybody should take their time that's what I'm trying to say is do not be hard on yourself and I think somebody like you Malika you're an inspiration somebody that we can really look up to and it's just so nice to see you on TV and now even in on a podcast listening to you I think you're incredible and I feel like you have just so much more to offer this world Absolutely. and you're very young so there's just yeah I I'm, I'm excited to see what else you have in store for us, honestly. Oh my God, this is my ego boost for the weekend. Thank <laughs> you, God. You don't need you it because you it, Yeah, you deserve it. I really, really do. It was funny. It was, uh, look, this comes all full circle. I think it was last year we spoke to your husband because he was at the I Heart Halal event. He was, yeah. And yeah. It's a, yeah, it's every April or something like that. I mean, we're still in March, but I, and I remember I was, I'm like, oh, I would love to have Malika. He's like, email her. I'm like, no, I'm scared. He's like, why are you scared? I'm like, I'm intimidated. I'm like, I'm like, you think Malika's going to be on our podcast? He's like, oh my. He like looked at me, rolled his eyes like email her i'm like okay i will <laughs> and subhanallah so crazy. it took us a year but here we are <laughs> to build up that courage and get over that fear I yeah i'm like we need to email her i'm like we have to email her now but i just want you to know you have a, a lot of fans and a lot of love and we really really support you and it's incredible to see muslim women like you doing it so and please whenever you're in chicago hit us yes. up because we would love to meet you in person 100 well, chicago's home i mean i have deep roots in chicago so yes i'm there often inshallah so yeah i and I really incredibly enjoyed looking at your grandmother's um, and all the stuff that you shared, all the pictures and stuff like that. I was like, oh my gosh, she lived such a beautiful Inshallah. life. Yeah. And it was all these pictures from a long time ago. I was like, wow, that was so, she lived such a beautiful, rich life. And it was really, really nice yeah. to see that, especially because like, you know, I'm from Chicago and just seeing your entire extended family. So also, it's, it's funny though, like I learned from that experience that all of us need to just pull out our phones and start recording whoever's left in our families and older generations. Like literally I learned so much about my grandmother that I didn't know while she was my grandmother. You know, I had no idea she had two masters yeah. and had no idea that she, you know, studied this or went here because she's just grandma. So it's only after that you learn about, you know, the rich lives of people that are in older generations. So I just, I'm like, all right, let's start recording. I want my parents. I want their life histories. I want all That's of it. That's beautiful. It. Because like our grandmothers were somebody who smothered us with their love. Like we didn't think about sitting down and asking them about their life stories. I think we just label like our parents as our parents, our mm -hmm. grandparents as our grandparents. Exactly. But we don't think of them yeah. as like a single entity, like a single person who actually had a life before Before us. becoming our grandmother. Before, yeah. yeah. And that's what I did yeah. when my grandmother was really sick. Like she was really on her deathbed. That's why I told her, look, please share as many stories as you can because I want to know. Look, do we know the stories of how our grandparents even met and how they fell in love? Like we don't ask them that. And I asked my grandmother. It was such a cute story. So I agree with you. Take out that camera or even just sit down with your parents parents call your parents call your grandparents have these discussions with them life is really really short yeah. it's interesting how this whole podcast yeah. turned into this but i i love it so 
Thank you so much, Thank Malika. You. You're amazing. Inshallah, we hope to hear from you soon. Inshallah. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really, I really had fun, actually. Thank you, girl. Thank you. Bye. Welcome back to our unfiltered afterthoughts. I love that we really talked about life in the public eye. And sometimes you can be someone who's more introvert, more reserved, but your career can lead you to live a life that's more public. And it's kind of like balancing those two identities and how to do that successfully. I understand what you're saying, too, because we chose the podcasting route because we're like, oh, we don't have to be in the public eye. We're just behind mics. But like I said, we just had an event and it's the first time we're actually in the public eye where we're speaking out and yeah. we were supposed to also be at another amazing event in detroit at my icd where we were supposed to be on stage and speak but again because of the coronavirus we were unable to make it but it was something that for once like yeah we want to push ourselves out of our comfort zone and you know try yeah it's like i think we're so fearful of trying because we care about what others think and i think that's something that you and i are learning how to navigate and the thing is there's always going to be criticism out there. There will always be, I don't care what you do, if you're a saint or not, you're always going to be faced with criticism because nobody's going to find what you do perfect or it's not going to always align with their thoughts or how they live their life. And that's okay. We're meant to be different. But at the same time, it depends on where you put your focus. Are you going to put it towards the negative comments or are you going to put it more so on the positive comments? Sometimes you can get thousands and thousands of positive comments but your mind is only focused on that one negative little comment and it's like how do we shift the focus how do we just focus on the positive not focusing on like one person who has something really just irrelevant to say I mean I think that's something that I'm still learning how to do I think we all are but it was just nice to have Malika on our podcast because she is somebody that I look at not just a triple threat but she's like a quadruple threat there's she has so much going for her and I love how she embraces her identities each on their own but then also together and I think that's so beautiful but sometimes we do take that for granted where we're able to walk freely into this world and nobody knows that we're Palestinian Muslim woman they would never be able to tell unless we sometimes open our mouths and introduce ourselves in that sense so I think that's something that when it comes to fear, there's also a flip side to it. It's not always just being fearful of taking the next uh, position or the next promotion or whatnot. Sometimes fear is just even living in this world at being who you are, just being who you are. And her as being a black female Muslim woman wearing the hijab, that's fear in itself. Especially in this yeah. day and age, it's the scariest. But honestly, I give, I, I admire people who can be unapologetically themselves and live not letting those fears affect them in a way that's so public. Because, yeah, of course it does affect them. You know, putting on the hijab every day, I understand that's a, that's a big weight because not because you're struggling with wearing the hijab, but you're struggling with how people are going to treat you and, and view you in that sense. Sometimes it's like you do have your internal struggles that we talked about in so many other episodes, but imagine adding on another layer of external struggles. Yeah. Like you and I can have our internal struggles, but what are our external struggles? We don't have that many because again, it's a, it's a privilege yeah. to not be, our identities are not visible. So that, it's just like, I commend the women who do make the choice of like, wearing their identities proudly and i read somewhere somebody was like not fond of the word um unapologetically because oh, really? they said that you should always have been just proud of who you are that you should never be apologetic for who you are so we shouldn't you know promote that word i guess and i understand where they're coming yeah, from I get it does that. make sense but sometimes i think for some people it's more easier said than done oh, exactly you know i was about I mean? to say it's it's not something that we're 
born knowing like you know what I mean it's not something that we're born with so I love Malika I love talking to her and I think this is an episode that will benefit so many girls around the world yeah you guys and every time we bring on a guest please support them please follow them honestly I don't think it's that hard to hit the follow button I think it's nice to just expand your following list and support more women like uh, Malika and all the other women that we've had on our podcast and please support everybody who has supported us through our events because one day you might need them they're all these brands and organizations they provides just so many cool things for our community it just honestly i was blown away by all the incredible products that our community is putting out into the world it's amazing it's like don't go from the outside go you know focus on your community we have a lot of talent so we do inshallah we can continue utilizing one another and being there for one another and inshallah again with what's going on around the world let's come together and let's be there for one another there's no room for hate literally at all so absolutely thank you guys Bye. bye